to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and I'm your host for these Bible study podcasts. Today we are continuing with our review of the key principles of effective Bible study based on a booklet of the same name available on our podcast page at biblestudy.asbzone.com. This podcast is inspired by the following Bible verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So what is the goal of this series of studies? It's to help you obtain greater value from your Bible study and devotional sessions. These episodes are about 15 to 20 minutes each and focused on key principles that God teaches us through His Word. Most people know that Bible study is essential to the Christian experience, and many people realize that without prayer, Bible study is futile and unproductive. But there are other, less known principles that the Scriptures also teach us, and our goal is to present them to you. These will help you to see God's Word in a more expansive way and will assist you in becoming just like the noble Bereans of Acts 17, 10 through 12. Today's study is entitled, Biblical Transitions Are Consistently Implemented. But before we begin our study together, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you're doing and teaching us, the instruction that you give to us. We pray, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and understanding that we will rightly divide your words of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Biblical transitions are consistently implemented. The question before us today is this, are things ever superseded in the Bible? This is a very good question. The Bible tells us that not only is God unchanging, but his law, precepts, and testimonies are unchanging. Yet it is almost universally agreed that the sacrificial system, as practiced by the Levites, was ended when Jesus died upon the cross. So is there a consistent principle for determining what can change, or is the change arbitrary? The Bible operates under a system of types and antitypes. An antitype is a literal person or thing or activity that is foreshadowed by a type or symbol. While the definition found at thefreedictionary.com suggests that the types are always in the Old Testament and their antitypes are always in the New Testament, be advised that there are a few types found in Revelation where the antitype is yet to come. Thus, in this context, someone or something is said to be typical when it is a symbolic representation of someone or something more substantial. Likewise, someone or something is said to be anti-typical when it is the fulfillment that removes the need for the symbolic person or activity. It's not so much that things get replaced than that placeholders give way to the full and proper manifestation. While the scope of overlap between a type and an anti-type can often be quite extensive, in other cases the scope can be quite narrow. One example of a limited scope is with the serpent of brass that Moses was told to make to save the Israelites from death, as recorded in Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, and referenced in John 3, 
14 and 15. The overlap between the brass serpent and Jesus is very narrow, focusing only upon the crucifixion. This is in contrast with the most prominent type, anti-type pair in the Bible, Jesus, the Lamb, which taketh away the sins of the world, John 1.29. Here, the nature of Jesus is routinely and consistently compared with that of a peaceful Lamb, both in his life and in his death. Not surprisingly, the Bible follows a consistent pattern in its use of types and anti-types, making it fairly easy to identify them. The pattern is as follows. The type and its purpose are identified. The arrival of the antitype is prophesied. Once the antitype has arrived, the replacement of the type is indicated. In other words, introduce, look forward, and then confirm in hindsight. In almost every case, the above elements are repeated in more than one passage. The more important the antitype, the more pronounced the messages for the type and antitype. As previously indicated concerning the permanence of everything that the Bible introduces, a type is enduring right up until the moment that its mission has been accomplished by the antitype that it was foreshadowing. Using this principle, we can look at the sacrificial system and see what it was designed for, what it pointed to, and when its fulfillment was indicated. So, here are some passages on the establishment of the sacrificial system. We find them in Genesis 3.15, in Genesis 4, verse 4, and in Exodus 12, 1 through 11, the latter passage being about the Passover. Then there's a foreshadowing. So, here are the passages that foreshadow a, a more complete sacrifice. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, John 1, 29, and Luke 9, 22. Okay? And these are, these are just a few of the verses. There are actually many, many verses which foreshadow that a more complete system was needed, was required, and that the current system only pointed to the more complete system. And then finally, we have confirmation of the prophesied change. We find that in Luke 24, 46, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and Hebrews 9, 22, and 28. And basically, all of Hebrews 9, if you read that, it explains the overall change. It explains Christ's ministry and the overall change to, Le to the Levitical system. And so you can, it really sums up and wraps up all of these other passages and references many of them. Thus, now that the anti-typical sacrifice, that is Christ, has occurred, the typical or symbolic sacrifices are no longer necessary or meaningful. This same principle can be applied to the changing of the priesthood. In fact, it's tied to the changing of the priesthood, but we'll see. Different verses are used. The establishment of the Levitical priesthood can be found in Exodus 28 and Leviticus 8. The foreshadowing of a different priesthood can be found in Genesis 14 and in Psalm 110, right? And really, Psalm 110, if we're going chronologically, right, where the foreshadowing happens after, Psalm 110 makes reference to the Melchizedek priesthood. Genesis 14 explains who Melchizedek is to the extent that we're given an explanation. 
and then confirmation of the prophesied change to the priesthood. Hebrews 5.10, Hebrews 6.20, all the way through Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Right? Again, emphasizing that the book of Hebrews is all about the establishment of what Christ is doing now and why he had to come and why the old system didn't last. Now that the anti-typical sacrifice has occurred, the type is no longer necessary. And we find that in Matthew 27, 51, Mark 15, 38, Luke 23, 45, Hebrews 8, 13, and Hebrews 10, 4. Of course, given that the Levitical priesthood was established for the express purpose of pointing Israel and the world to the anti-typical sacrifice of Christ, it makes perfect sense that it would only need to exist until it had managed to complete the purpose for which it had been ordained. The purpose of the Levitical priesthood was fulfilled when Jesus died as the anti-typical Passover lamb. You will find that every instruction or command or activity in the Bible which God intended to have a limited shelf life follows this principle. Anything that is legitimately changed in the Bible from one phase to another, will be identifiable by this pattern of initial establishment, foreshadowing of future change, and clear confirmation of replacement with references to the relevant prophecies. This is important because there are lots of things that people suggest have been changed in the Bible, but they don't follow that pattern and you can't find it. Okay? So everything that God ordains is permanent. We've seen that. We've reiterated that through several episodes now. When God ordains and establishes something, it's permanent. And the reason is he's perfect. So he doesn't have to put things and then guess as to whether or not they're going to be effective and then make alterations to them. He puts things in place that will work. Anytime you see in the Bible that he makes alterations to things for the benefit of man, it's because, as Jesus said of divorce, it's because of the stubbornness of men's hearts, right? So when we are too thick-headed and he doesn't feel like destroying us outright and doesn't want to take that approach to addressing the problem, he has, in the past, made allowances for things that are less than ideal. But when it comes to doctrinal, to established precedents, when it comes to principles and precepts, when he establishes something, it is established. And anything that has a limited shelf life is well indicated. There's no surprise when it's time. Oh, yeah, sure. We're going to find some people in the Bible that are surprised by it, right? We're not saying no one will be surprised. We're saying there should be no surprise because it's there. When Jesus on the road to Emmaus spoke to the brethren who did not understand why it was that the Son of God had suffered and died, he had to point out to them, this was prophesied. This was supposed to be there. Paul had to go through the same thing to the Jews in Acts 28. He had to call them together and prove to them from the, the law and the prophets and the Psalms that this was indeed what Christ was supposed to have done, suffered and died for our sins and then gone to minister for us, right? And all of that was prior to coming as a glorious and conquering king. So if someone says to you, hey, X, Y, or Z has changed, you know, we used to do it that way, but it's changed, you should say, okay, no problem. Show me the verses where it was going to change, because that's how God works. The sacrificial system was in place, 
And then God showed the people that the sacrificial system would point to the Messiah. In fact, the first time that he told Israel, sorry, the first time that he told his people about what would need to happen was in the Garden of Eden, right after man fell. And in Genesis 3, he outlines that the seed of the woman would have to come and die. Right? Right from the beginning, the whole thing was pointed out. If you want to really talk about foreshadowing, he actually told them what the real term plan would be before they killed an animal. So even before the sacrificial system was implemented, it was known that this was a short-term system because it was just to keep your focus on what would ultimately happen. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Because it's clear that all those other lambs could not have done that. They put you in the right frame of mind to understand what was happening. They, they allowed you to get a glimpse of how the system worked in transferring the guilt from you to some other party that then took the penalty. But they couldn't take the penalty permanently. That's why the Day of Atonement came annually under the old system because one time was not sufficient to take care of all of the problems. Whereas Jesus Christ died once, and the blood of that one death covers all of the feast sacrifices that were needed. And, and you know, every time you sin, you don't need to kill him again, right? So that is how all of the changes in the Bible that do occur, and there are a few, we, we touched on the biggest two, the sacrificial system, and the Levitical priesthood that supported it. They changed, but it's not like all of a sudden, one day, the apostles come around and say, hey, stop doing that. And you say, well, why? This is We're supposed to do the sacrifice. No, nope, everything has changed. When did that happen? Yesterday. Why did that happen? Well, we said so. It's, it's Jesus died, so it's all changed. But I don't understand. Right? That's not how that worked. If you look in the book of Acts, if you look as Paul, especially Paul, but Peter also discusses this, as you look at them discussing the difference post-Christ from pre-Christ, they always reference the prophets. They don't just say, because we said so. They always reference the prophets, which means... This was known in advance, or at least it was documented in advance, that these changes were going to come. That's how God operates. Implement the change. Talk about the uh, about its life cycle and, and, and what the real thing would need to be. When the real thing comes, point back and say, yes, see, we've hit that point, and now that prophecy has been fulfilled. Okay? Very important. In fact, this topic is pretty extensive, and we've done a longer series that you can find on our podcast page called God's Precious Word, which covers some of the topics we've been discussing here, but definitely addresses the anti-typical system to a greater degree than we're going to do in this episode. So, to reiterate, you will find that every instruction or command or activity in the Bible, which God intended to have a limited shelf life, follows this principle. 
anything that is legitimately changed in the Bible from one phase to another will be identified by this pattern of initial establishment, foreshadowing of future change, and clear confirmation of replacement with references to the relevant prophecies. As you study your Bible, as you hear things, as you come across things, as you re-evaluate doctrines that you understand, make sure you consider this principle. This is a key principle because it addresses one of the most complex things that people come across in the Bible, where, it, where many people argue for arbitrary change when God always has a consistent system of how he does things. And if you don't see this pattern with a thing that you believe is changed, you really need to reassess whether or not it has actually been changed. Let's look at some of the verses. And again, from the King James Version. Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Genesis 17.7 and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Psalm 119, 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Now we've used a lot of these, we've used some of these verses before. And of course, a single principle can be covered a single principle is always going to be covered by more than one verse, right? That's one of the principles. You couldn't just get a verse and feel like you had a principle. But at the same time, verses are not tied to one principle only, right? They're not tied to one principle only. But we see here the consistency of God, how he establishes things, how he founds them forever. He knows in advance what he's going to be doing. He's well-planned. He is well-organized. He is a God of order. So things don't just arbitrarily pop in and pop out. He plans in the fullness of time. He establishes. Revelation 14.6 says, And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. All right. One of the verses that we didn't add but is important the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, right? The Jesus is the lamb from even before the earth is created. Just so we understand that. Even before the earth is created, Jesus is the lamb. There's a plan. It is already established that if, if need be, Jesus would take up this work. So the idea that all of a sudden God's like, oh wait, oh no, I was supposed to take this thing out the oven and he races into the kitchen and pulls things out. No, that's not how he operates. Well planned in advance, he warns us. There are other verses we could have used, such as the Lord will do nothing except he reveal it to his servant, the prophets. There, there are lots of verses that can be used to show that biblical transitions are consistently implemented. Numbers 21, 8 and 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld a serpent of brass, he lived. Now, that's, that's in the time of Moses. Over a millennia later, John 3, 14 and 15, 
Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay? So we see, there was a type. The brass serpent was a type. The reason it worked was because it expressed faith in God. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the ultimate object of faith that we need to have in terms of the salvation that God is providing for us. And then 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Our God is a God of order. Doesn't do arbitrary things. Doesn't do random things. Doesn't do just inconsistent things. He operates in a very consistent way. If something is changed in the word of God, you can bet that there is a lead up to it and someone establishing it and someone foreshadowing that there's going to be a change and someone showing that the change has been put into effect. That's how God works. And, and another point on that, not only are biblical transitions consistently implemented, but they're implemented with the same volume. The changes are implemented or the transitions are implemented with the same volume. What does that mean? Well, if God presented a thing at a certain volume in, in, in terms of how it was communicated, how many prophets, how many times it was said, how obvious and visible it was, when he transitions, the transition also has that same kind of volume. So you're not going to find him, you know, one day saying, thou shalt not kill. And then tomorrow saying, eh, you can kill if you want. And in a totally different volume, in a corner, whispering. He's not. And while we're on that, let's use an example. Do you remember when Paul and Silas are thrown into prison uh, because they cast out the demons from the, the demon from that um, young lady that, that was soothsaying. And the folks get them in, in Philippi, they get them thrown into prison, uh, they're beaten and what have you. And at midnight, they're singing and, and, and praying and an earthquake comes and the jailer comes out and um, the jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? And they preach the words of life to him and he is baptized in his whole house, okay? That's the part of the story, and most of us know that story. We recognize that story. But there's a part of that story that's there that's important as well. And in this part of the story, when the folks, when the magistrates who had seen to their beating and their imprisonment realize that all of this chaos has come, they want no more part of it, and they send messengers to say, hey, you can let those two guys go. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. You did all of this stuff publicly. You did all of this stuff publicly. And you're going to come and get us out of this prison. Okay? You're not going to just sit there and, um, and let us out quietly. Acts 16.35 says, And when it was day... The magistrates sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this to saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let thee go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, 
They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Okay, so, of course, his principle was, you incarcerated us publicly. If we are exonerated, it also needs to be public. You can't do one action loud and in public and then do the other action quiet and in a corner and privately. Similarly, if the Lord establishes a law or a precept or a guidance and he does it at the top of a mountain, he's not going to contradict that law or rescind it or revoke it in a back room with two or three people present. You understand? That's the principle that you can see um, that you can see demonstrated in this particular passage. You established something at a certain volume and cadence. You need to retract it or revoke it or rescind it or annul it or alter it in the same manner. This is true of human authorities and more so of God who does things openly and consistently. Thanks for taking the time to study with us today. We encourage you to prayerfully review the booklet in conjunction with this recording. And remember that we have additional episodes out here that go into the type anti-type thing in greater detail. Let's close our study with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us. We thank you for helping us to tackle a pretty intense topic and to be able to break it down. We pray that it will be effective, that those who hear will understand. And of course, as always, we encourage them to send us email if they don't and to pray for guidance as well, that they may have wisdom and understanding. These things we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks again for listening in. And if you have any questions, be sure to send them to BibleQuestions at ASBZone.com and we will do our best, by God's grace, to provide you with biblical answers to those questions. If you are finding these studies to be a blessing, please let us know all about it and also share these studies with others. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you study His Word.